0: Well, it's lovely to be with you all this morning, and um, we are working our way still steadily through 1 Corinthians. My name is Liz Gray, and I'm uh, the Rector at Incarnation, and I'm delighted to see all of you on this call. I love seeing all the little boxes and so many people who I know and love. But I wonder if you've got a piece of paper and pencil to hand, because you might need it um, as you go forward, and particularly kids. I would love for you to grab a piece of paper now. So, One of the questions i use quite often about all sorts of things is what do i learn about god about myself and about other people i use that particularly when i am reading scripture i'll always ask those three questions but i wonder if you would like to think if you'd like to examine yourself a bit like some of you were just doing with josie in um, the spiritual formation class if you would like to Examine yourself and think where have I grown in the last year in relation to God and to other people and within myself? What have I learned during the pandemic as we come up to one year of being in this very strange new world? What has the pandemic taught you about God, about others, about the needs of the world? So here we are in 1 Corinthians. And uh, over the last two weeks, Amy has been guiding us through this rather complex argument that Paul is developing about food for idols. And he has actually circled around those three things. What do we learn about God, about others, and about the, ourselves? And he's gone round and round in that context. And really, it's kind of strange, because if you think about it, fundamentally, he's saying to the housewives or chefs of the day, Um, And it would have been housewives, probably, or housekeepers. Where are you going to buy your your meat? And for this to become a three-chapter argument in the book of Corinthians means that it was probably quite a big deal. And it was, mainly because within their context, this idea of where you're going to buy your meat for dinner was riddled with social, religious, and cultural significance. The business of getting meat which might have been sourced through worship for idols was big news and actually it's pretty interesting how liberal Paul is as he responds to the Corinthians and their letter but as Amy points out he could have just given a one-liner and said either do or don't do it but he is much more nuanced than that and she reminded us as to how we, he's actually inviting them into the process of working out what is the best thing to do here what should they do how do they come to a good conclusion i'm reminded of back in chapter 3 with paul when he told them he was chided them a little bit in chapter 3 and said you guys you just want to drink milk but you are the grown-ups here You are the leaders in this new Corinthian church. It's time you really began to take things more seriously. Stop being fed the food of babies. He wants them to grow up. I suspect Paul hoped and dreamt and prayed that the Corinthian church would become a massive church planting movement, that he would see lots of churches coming out from them. And he was wanting to raise up leaders who were capable of making sensible decisions as a small Christian minority, they dealt with a intense pagan community around them and culture around them. And so Paul is wanting them to learn how to be the church, how to be examples, how to set standards in their community that others could follow. So as in chapter 10, he begins to wrap up this argument, he does three things. The first one is he says okay i'm going to give you some things which you absolutely do not do this is stuff which is just no nah, you don't do it don't go there secondly i'm going to give you some suggestions as to things which you will want to think sensibly about not because god has said don't do these but because they might be a problem for other people so he says these are the things you mustn't do these are the things you want to think really hard about because they might pr- provide a problem for other people and thirdly, he ends in this glorious, glorious call at the end to be imitators of Christ. And actually, I made a mistake when I gave the readings because I wanted to give uh, chapter 11, verse 1 to Cheryl as well, which is, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So we're gonna, that's where we finish. We're going to finish and start with this reminder that everything Paul says in this chapter is about how we can be more like Christ. Whatever we do, do it as worshippers. Okay, so let's look at those no's. Um, Sometimes, you know, it can feel like there are a lot of no's in scripture, but actually they always, always come from a place of love. Because fundamentally, God loves us and he wants us to be in a loving relationship with him. And he wants that to be a relationship where it's just him and us, him and me, him and you. He doesn't want other little things intruding in there that distract us from him. Paul describes him a couple of times as a jealous God and he is jealous. He wants our undistracted attention. So the things that Paul is about to say no to are things that will pull us away from God. So he begins his argument by reminding them that they have ancestors This largely Gentile community of Christians, just like us, has stepped into an ancient story. And he says, your ancestors. And so each one of us, for each one of us, it's our ancestors too. Our ancestors who were in Egypt, our ancestors who were in the desert, our ancestors who made these choices, some good, some terrible. He says, don't forget, these are your people. And he then tightens it up even more by saying that the experiences that they went through as they left Egypt and as they were in the desert were akin to baptism, they were akin to communion, they were akin to being with Christ. He draws strong, strong parallels between us and our ancestors. And I think there's a lovely Mark Twain quote which says, history never never repeats itself, but sometimes it rhymes. paul is inviting them to say uh take a look at what happened with those guys back there you're no different your circumstances might be a little different where you're sitting right now might look a little different but there are rhythms to life which we are all subject to okay stop the introduction what does paul say no to the first one seems pretty straightforward he says uh don't do any pagan worship He, he reminds them of the Israelites who got impatient when Moses was up the mountain and they made the golden calf and then they began to worship and then they feasted with food and drink, which was inappropriate because it had been served to this idol God, this pagan God. He reminded them that sometimes we need to be patient and not to fill our impatience with alternatives to God. Not to seek other idols who will fill that space with a, an empty alternative. He says, wait for God. Wait for him. Don't rush to an alternative. Then he lists something else, which we are also not immune to in our culture. Sexual immorality. He said, don't do it. Just don't be sexually immoral. Wait. Be patient. Look for God's plan in your life. Exercise fidelity, loyalty, patience. Remember that your bodies have a spiritual component and are not simply physical. And then he mentions that the Israelites put Christ to the test. Interesting, because Christ obviously wasn't actually, hadn't been born yet when the Israelites were in the desert. But the analogy is sort of like teenagers who are constantly pushing the barriers. And he said the Israelites were constantly pushing the barriers like immature adolescents. He said, don't do that. Don't put Christ to the test. Don't try and provoke him into action. I don't know if any of you have got teenagers. Do your teenagers ever try and provoke you into action? No, obviously not. But um, uh, perhaps, or perhaps you remember provoking your parents into action. The fourth one is even more recognisable. He says, don't grumble and complain. Probably a reminder of the Egyptians in the, in the desert complaining about the food that they, that they were or weren't given. But, and then God did give them manna. But he said, when you grumble, Paul is reminding them that your heart matters. Complaining often often comes from a place of self-righteousness or a sense that we deserve something that we're not getting and then we grumble and complain because we want it. In Philippians, Paul also says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you might become blameless and harmless children of God. Trust God. Trust God. And so Paul is saying to his readers, it's not enough to simply just take communion and get baptized and think that you're done and dusted. He said, our lives have to show where we are walking with God. Our lives matter, our behaviors matter. Monday to Sunday, they matter. He was reminding them that the Israelites were in a hurry. They didn't want to wait for God. They weren't being patient. They weren't seeking to put him first. And so these choices that we make, are really, really important to our relationship with God. And they're positive as well. They say, worship God alone, be faithful, wait for him, anticipate his provision, his answer in your life. So those were kind of like, if you like, the notes. The second list of things that Paul goes on to uh, could fall into the category of what is sometimes called ediophora. The things which are matters of indifference. These are things which God has not said, do not do this, but they are things which might harm other people's walk with God. So all the choices that we make, sometimes we feel, particularly in our individualistic culture, that it's all just about me and God, that's all fine. But your behaviour, your choices, day by day, are also affecting other people and Paul is reminding us that that matters, that it really matters, that it really, really matters how other people can see God through us. And again, coming back to the concluding sentence, he wants us to be imitators of Christ because the way that our neighbours are going to see God is going to be through us and through our lives and so our choices matter. So as i was trying to think about okay so what are what are the meat given to idols in our society what are where are am i making similar choices day by day and the first example which popped into my mind was a memory of um, a time when i was doing teacher training in uh karen state in burma and uh, i used to go every year and this year i had thought oh i know what great great idea i'm going to take uno with me and, you know, put your hands up if you ever played Uno. It's a really simple, fun card game. It's got colors and numbers and, you know, it's really easy to learn and all the rest of it. So I took Uno. And so one night I got it out. All the students were gathered around my hut and there was lots of laughing and shouting and, you know, as joyous whatever. But I suddenly became aware that the headmaster of the college was standing on the edge of the circle looking pretty mad. So I ended up having a conversation with him and it turned out that within their culture, within their context, playing cards had a pretty bad reputation. It had been associated with gambling, with alcoholism, with sort of a degeneration of their culture and society. And so he was really anxious that this foreign teacher was leading his students into bad paths. So in that case, What I did was I talked to him. I was willing to stop playing, you know, but I also said, listen, we're not gambling. We're not, you know, we're we're learning colors and numbers and it's just fun. Do you want to come and play? And he watched for a while and eventually he said, no, that's fine. So he let us carry on with it. But it was an opportunity for me to kind of look at what I was doing and to choose not to do it. In a way, because it was causing offense to somebody else. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to people and asking them, what are the kind of things which come up for you in your daily life? And one example which came up actually in our small group was yoga. Okay, now I can feel all of you kind of going, Ooh, what you going to say? Um, but I want you to pay attention to this. Um, and I noticed that I'm putting this on list too. So I'm putting this on the list of things which can cause potentially other people to stumble, but are not a no-no. Yoga is interesting. Obviously, it has roots which are, some people say 5,000, some people say 10,000 years old. So let's take 5,000 as a conservative figure. So for the last 5,000 years, it's been used as part of Hindu philosophy. It's part of a religious practice. It's been part of a way that a people have expressed their religious beliefs. And really only in the last 50 years, as exercise has become a more kind of trendy thing and we've learned different ways to stretch our bodies, it's been somewhat appropriated in the West as a form of exercise. There are lots and lots of Christian yoga teachers and there are lots and lots of Christians. I know lots of priests who do yoga. I know lots of priests' spouses who do yoga. I know lots of people who make choices to do yoga. But if you are going to choose to do yoga, I need you to be aware of one thing. I need you to be aware of the spiritual roots of what the practice that you're stepping into. Just a bit like buying the meat offered to idols in the the marketplace. If you decide to eat it, you need to do it aware of the effect on your neighbors. So don't find it difficult for the person who's on the yoga mat next to you. And be prepared to give an answer. If they say to you, how do you as a Christian do yoga? then be prepared to talk about what it is and why it is that you feel it's appropriate or choose not to do it. So I'm saying to you that you have a choice here, but you need to be informed and you need to be aware of the way that your behavior may or may not affect other people and also to be aware of the fact that you are stepping into a tradition which has thousands of years of philosophy behind it. So take note, be careful. Another one which might also touch a few raw nerves around you. Is your party political position? Waiting, okay. Um, (laughs) We all have positions that we come to and whether as a Brit, I'm in labor or conservative, whether it's you, if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, the one thing that I would say to you is, is that within the church, we need to be careful. Christ is by no means an apolitical figure. The scripture is by no means apolitical. God talks right from the beginning to the end about how we have got to care for the poor, for the needy, for the disadvantaged, for the voiceless. These are all deeply political statements. The one danger that I see sometimes within party politics is that people can begin to take hold of that as an ideology and ideologies can be dangerous. They can become intellectual idols. They can step into the way between you and Christ. So when you're coming to a decision about a policy or something that you feel strongly about, I would encourage you, sure, listen to your context, your culture, read the books, read the whatever, but always come back to scripture. Is what you're speaking out for, is what you're protesting, is it what you're wanting to see happen in our society, coming from a biblical position, or is it coming from an ideology that you've held onto which is tightly tied to your um, social identity? Be careful, be careful, be prepared to give an answer which comes from scripture. Be prepared to give an answer which comes from your relationship with Christ. Be careful that as you engage with other people, they see Christ shining through you. One more, social media. Amy's mentioned this a few times. I've mentioned it in the past. Be careful. Are people seeing Christ being represented as you use social media? Is there anything which you're saying or doing or promoting that would block someone from coming to see Jesus? Would you let Jesus watch your Facebook feed? Make sure that he's come in and he's sitting next to you as you type, as you decide what to post or what not to post or how to comment. Invite Jesus into those decisions because you want to be a witness to Christ in the ways that you interact with the people around you. Remember what I said, all these things I think come into the category of adiaphora, things that are not a yes, no, always. They're things which would come into using our God-given brains, using scripture, using our hearts, using prayer. Always, always inviting the Holy Spirit to stop us if we're about to do something which is going to harm somebody else or bring doubt to somebody else. Always, always asking the Holy Spirit to invite us into bringing life and light into our communities. And these adiphora can come up in so many ways. The ones I've used are just things that I've found myself talking to people about over the last few weeks. You will have different things, different things in your life where you're being asked to make decisions, where you're being asked to speak up on topics, when you're being asked to give your opinion. Be careful. Be careful about the ways that you relate to other people. Now, I'm gonna give one provisor. I feel like this, passage has often been used in a way that is unhelpful. I think that the, the kind of challenge of saying we don't want anyone to stumble has suddenly sometimes led communities into unhealthy decisions about maybe telling women that they have to be covered head to toe or, or whatever. I think there are ways that we need to grow up as Paul says. And there are times when you have to challenge somebody. A little bit like I engaged in conversation with that headmaster. I didn't just shut down the ship because I was actually felt fairly comfortable about the cards that we were playing. I wanted to engage with him in conversation and see if we could get to a mutually acceptable place so that he could understand my perspective and I could understand his. So it's not simply retreat, retreat, retreat. We do want to engage with our culture. We do want to have conversations and open communications. We do want all to grow up in Christ. So all of these things, playing cards, you know, drinking alcohol, exercising in a certain way, getting involved in politics, none of them are absolutes. But all of them have the potential to be stumbling blocks. So grow up. Grow up in the way that you make choices. Grow up in the way that you decide to interact with others. And maybe you have to let go of some things. Maybe you have to let go of some things which you actually enjoy. Maybe for a season you choose not to drink alcohol for the sake of a friend. I don't know, whatever it is. There are times when you might have to make yourself experience something less in order that something, somebody else can have more. So we're called to evaluate, to remember the nose. We worship God alone, not him and lots of other little gods. So watch out for idols in your life. Are there ways also then that you are not transgressing, but you're causing other people to stumble? So like I invited the kids at the beginning of this um, last 10, 15 minutes. I wonder if you might like to even reflect back, could just be over this last year, over the pandemic. Think about the places where you've grown in your knowledge and understanding of worship of God. Where has God become even more number one in your priorities? What have you learned about God in this season? Where have you had to put things down, say no to things, because we, you're being patient, waiting for God to work, be worshipped more in your life? What about other people? What have you learned about other people? What have you learned about the ways that you can support other people? And what have you learned about yourself? How are you looking more like Jesus now than you did a year ago, the beginning of the pandemic? And how do you hope to look more like Jesus in a year's time? So Paul wraps up this whole discussion by essentially inviting people and reminding that ultimately what we are looking for is God's name to be glorified. And reminding us that that happens when we love each other well when we look for the good of others before ourselves, when we help to remove temptation from the path of others, and when we help people to navigate around the temptations in front of them so they too can grow up to look like Jesus. I love that line in the Psalm earlier, for my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. Life isn't about having an easy path, It's not about having no obstacles. It's not about a bed of roses. It's about learning how to negotiate the challenges that are set before us in a way that brings glory to God, in a way that helps him to be known by other people. So let's listen to that last couple of sentences from Paul again. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews, or to Greeks, or to the Church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ." As we head into the silence in a moment, could you say to your family and friends and neighbors, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to say. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Maybe you'll be invited to confess something, to give something up, or maybe you'll just be invited to, to more, to knowing more of who God is. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind things that need to be confessed and need to be accepted. And then ask the Holy Spirit to turn you towards Christ, remembering that you, like Paul, each one of you are of Christ. Amen.